Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show Podcast, Hour 3. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. It is my show. Delighted to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, you are more than welcome to today. We'll be a little loose on phone calls this week. Uh, You don't have to stick to prepared topics necessarily. Just since I've been gone, you've been gone. We've been enjoying things. Well, today... Down in Florida, the potential future president of the United States was sworn in for a second term. I want to play you a little bit of Ron DeSantis' inaugural address today. We reject this woke ideology. We seek normalcy, not philosophical lunacy. We will not allow reality, facts, and truth to become optional. We will never surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. And that got a standing ovation. I was supposed to be there today, got invited by his campaign team to be there and and could not pull it off um, begrudgingly. Uh, But Vanity Fair has this out. I find this in and of itself very funny. You knew it was gonna happen. A headline in Vanity Fair magazine, a comprehensive guide to why a Ron DeSantis presidency would be as terrifying as a Trump one. The subtitle, his bigoted policies and authoritarian behavior make him just as bad a pick for the top job in Washington. Now, here's what you need to know. When George H.W. Bush, well, let's back up. Uh, When Ronald Reagan ran for president, the left and moderate Republicans said if he won, he would cause nuclear holocaust. Ronald Reagan was a cowboy. He would engage in cowboy diplomacy and the world would blow up. When George H.W. Bush ran, many of the liberal editorialists in America, uh, if you go back to 1988 when he's running against uh, Michael Dukakis, they drew cartoons where George H.W. Bush had a purse. He was a fet, too feminine, too sissy. Uh, He wasn't the rugged cowboy that Ronald Reagan had in America, one of the cowboy. Remember back in 1980, the cowboy diplomacy was a pejorative and Reagan was going to start war in 1988. It was George H.W. Bush wasn't cowboy enough. You get to 1996 and ironically, Bob Dole is too old and too mean. In 2000, George W. Bush Too much of a cowboy. We're back to cowboy diplomacy. It's all going to end badly for us. And oh my gosh, Dick Cheney with him. We're all going to go to war and we're all going to die. John McCain was beloved by the media. They loved that guy, the maverick. Wrote on John McCain's campaign bus one time. And the reporters fawned over that man in ways I have never seen with any politician left or right. They loved him until he became the nominee and they savaged him. He was mean. He had a temper. He was a bully. 
2012, Mitt Romney was a racist who put his dog on top of his station wagon. A cold, heartless SOB. How dare you vote for this racist? He was a Mormon after all. And don't you know Mormons are racist, according to the media? Well, by 2016, Republicans had enough. Donald Trump runs, and you've got Bill Maher. I'll never forget his commentary. He's like, I know we've told you that John McCain and George Bush and Mitt Romney were racist. This time, we really, really mean it. It didn't work. Didn't work. Trump got elected. Now, in 2020, the day after the election, I tweeted something along the lines of congratulations to Donald Trump. I know defeat is hard, but you will soon be rehabilitated by the media who will assure us the next Republican is far worse than you. And sure enough, that's what they're doing with Ron DeSantis. Uh, The presumption in the media is DeSantis is the favorite. I I have been invited to a super secret meeting of the right wing, vast right wing conspiracy to talk about the, the dynamics of 2024. I'm hosting my gathering in August in Atlanta where we're going to invite the prospects, including DeSantis. And the media presumes that DeSantis is the next big thing. If DeSantis winds up not to be the next big thing. Whoever it is is going to get the same attacks. They will be a racist. They will, if they're a woman, undermine their sex and be a betrayer, a, a stooge of misogyny. If they're a man, they'll be the second coming of Hitler. I'm, I mean, you you might as well just stop the they're worse than Trump and go straight to their Hitler because that's where it all leads to. They, they become the second coming of Adolf Hitler. Any Republican who becomes the nominee, any Republican who runs for president becomes the second coming of Adolf Hitler, according to the media. They do it because they have an agenda. And they're on the side. Now, of course, it's Vanity Fair right now. And Vanity Fair, of course, is of the left, owned by the left, a mouthpiece of the left, a a thought machine for the left. But it will come to the mainstream media. They will savage for now DeSantis. And, you know, this is the the interesting thing. They they forget. Um, I want to go back to the Herschel Walker race. I'm I'm sorry to, to revisit this. There was a primary in the state of Georgia, but Herschel Walker really didn't have a primary. Herschel Walker didn't engage. He wasn't on the campaign trail. They kind of kept him hidden. I mean, I invited on in Georgia every single one of those candidates to come on my show on the flagship station, and I'm in dozens of markets in Georgia. It just made sense. You wanted every single possible conservative to listen to you. I know what my ratings are in the state. You come on my show, and and every conservative in the state of Georgia is going to hear you, and this campaign refused. All the others did. It wasn't really a primary. He had more money. He didn't have to compete. He didn't even have to show up for the debates. And he stayed ahead of the polls because he's Herschel freaking Walker. Everybody knew him. Everybody was going to vote for him. He was Donald Trump's guy, and he was a football hero at the University of Georgia. As a result, he never got challenged. And in the general election, he got caught flat-footed. He never wanted to respond to the attacks. One of the untold stories is, you know you know that ad, uh, you all saw it nationally, where it was Raphael Warnock playing clips of Herschel Walker's ex-wife in the 2020 interview, talking about the abuse. The Walker campaign did an ad to respond to that, and it was a good ad. And the Walker t- 
campaign team wasn't allowed to release the ad because Walker didn't want them to. It's a true story. Heard it from the campaign directly. They finally released that ad, and it was about him changing. It was one where he looks at the camera and talks about his redemption and not being defined by his worst day. It was a great ad. It was a great response. It came about a month too late. The problem in situations like that, the problem with candidates who they're coronated and they don't have to go through a primary is they're weak candidates. They 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 don't have to do the basic tackling and blocking until they get into the general election. And then every mistake matters so much more. When you have a primary, when you run as a primary candidate, you have the opportunity to fix your mistakes. They're not necessarily fatal. Not as many people pay attention. You have the opportunity to... Um, you have the opportunity to respond. You have the opportunity to fix things. And you don't have that opportunity once you get into the general election because the media is going to make you own everything. Candidates who don't go through rough primaries make for bad general election candidates usually. Ron DeSantis is going to have a Republican primary in 2024. He's going to have one. Some Republican will run against him. I don't know who. There will be many. They will run. Hopefully not as many as 2016. I think we'll see a Nikki Haley. We'll see a Mike Pence, a Mike Pompeo. We'll see DeSantis, maybe Christy Noem, a couple other governors. They'll all be stellar candidates. They'll, they'll all be great. We'll see Donald Trump, perhaps. But the attacks are coming now on DeSantis, and this is the upside for DeSantis in a way that that transcends a lot of other candidates. Those attacks are coming right now from the media now. They want to rough him up now. They're scared of him now. They don't want to get traction for him now. I'm going to this super secret media in the vast right-wing conspiracy. I'm not going to tell you when. I'm not going to tell you who with, but it's about the state of 2024. And uh, there's some fascination with DeSantis among some of these major millionaire and billionaire donors of the GOP. And one of the questions is, can he sustain it? Can he sustain the momentum? Can he, does he have what it takes? What about Trump? Will Trump come after him? They've asked me for my opinion on this stuff. I'll tell you my opinion here and now. Save him the trip, although I still want to go. It's in a cool location. But it's the attacks now, the media can't help themselves. And they'll make him a stronger candidate because the media can't help itself. They are scared of him getting momentum. I don't know who the nominee is going to be, and I will support the nominee. I don't have a dog in the fight. It sounds like I realize I'm endorsing DeSantis. I bring it up because he's being sworn in today as governor of Florida for the second time. He is an intriguing candidate. He's the one I don't know. I am friends with, like, actual real friends with Nikki Haley and Ted Cruz. I don't know Christy Noem at all. I've met her before. I've talked to DeSantis on this program once. I know Mike Pompeo. I'm dear friends with Mike Pence. Known him for a very long time. DeSantis is the wild card. But he's the one the media is convinced is going to be the nominee unless they stop him. And the way they're going to try to stop him is to throw every single possible attack under the sun at him now. And that gives him the opportunity now to respond to the attack and prepare his response when no one's paying attention. As opposed to two years from now in 2024 when everyone's paying attention. The withering attack from the media now that the media can't help themselves from doing 
actually wind up making DeSantis a stronger candidate in 2024. It's the same thing that happened to George W. Bush. Between 1998 and 2000, the media attacked George W. Bush on everything from the, the death penalties for the racists who dragged the black man to tax cuts in Texas to the way the, the books were done in Texas to the educational changes in Texas, all of the things they attacked him on in his record, they did. So by the time you got to the general election in the year 2000, George W. Bush knew exactly what the attacks were and how to respond to them because the media couldn't help themselves. They couldn't wait to drop the opposition research book. They had to do it immediately. They had to hit him off at the pass. They knew he was probably the strongest candidate with the biggest support of the biggest donors they had to do it and they did and it helped bush become the nominee and helped bush win yes he lost the popular vote but then he won a majority of the popular vote in 2004 they're doing the same thing now i have said for a year the way 2024 is shaping up reminds me so much of the year 2000 in 2000 they took the guy who flipped Texas from a blue state and made it a bright red state, and they made him the Republican nominee. And now the guy who took the swingy state of Florida and made it a bright red state, it looks like they're going to make him the nominee. And the media is doing the same thing now they did then. They're trotting out every attack. He is worse than Hitler. He's worse than the last guy. Bush was more of a cowboy than Reagan. He would be terrible. He would start World War III. They're going to do that with DeSantis as well. He's now as bad or worse than Trump. And you know, kind of funny, one of the side things they say is, oh, he's so much worse than Trump because he's smarter than Trump. He can actually get things done. That makes him terrible. That's actually going to make him even more appealing to Republicans. The weather outside might be frightful, but in your bed, you've got super soft bowl and branch sheets to sleep under. They'll keep you comfortable. They're just the perfect weight. Summer, winter, fall, spring, the perfect weight, and they get softer every wash. And right now, with the weather so cold outside, you want to just be snuggled up inside. They're the perfect sheets under which you and your loved one can snuggle. And right now, you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BowlinBranch.com. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L. A-N-D-Branch.com. The promo code is Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Bullet Branch sheets are the perfect 100% organic cotton threads that get softer every wash. Not only do they get softer every wash, but they, the drape across your body is just perfect. I really enjoy mine. We've got them now on multiple beds in the house. We've just kept buying them because they're so soft. And every wash, they get softer. And right now, get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code ERIC. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. How's about I take a couple of phone calls here? Let me begin with Hubert. Welcome to the show, Hubert. Eric, I love your show. Thank you. You are a great guy. You bring on some issues that are thought-provoking. And also, you also present some political issues with their biblical background, which no other talk show host is doing. And you're right on target. Thank you. I like I like the part where you that the, the fruitful and multiply. I I think I'm going to use it as a sermon. I'm a pastor and I'm going to use it as a sermon. No, nice. No, no. I'm seeing where all these sex issues are are leading to. You 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 have it on target. I love your show. 
Look, uh, gosh, that's very kind of you. Thank you very much. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it is something I just increasingly think some of these issues, you can't view them as anything other than a spiritual fight. This The Malthusian exactly. Exactly. desire for us to stop procreating is, is if the devil can't beat God with the gates of hell will not prevail, well, let's just limit the number of them. Exactly. That's a good. That's a good point. And I'm I, I'm I'm going to write this as, as a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Don't it's, it's give going, me it's, any it's credit. Going, I don't be, want it. You you you'll be tarred and feathered if you give me any credit. <laughs> I can take it. I can take it. <laughs> yeah, please do. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas to you. Great, great to hear from you. Uh, I yeah. Listen, I'm I'm telling you guys, we have a spiritual problem globally. It's not just in this country, and I really do firmly believe, as I said in the in the Christmas show, that as the world, the Western world in particular, moves further and further away from faith into secularism, you're actually just seeing paganism crop up again. The rise of crystal shops. In every community in this country now, there are magic crystal shops. I, I was gobsmacked my own my own community in Middle Georgia, where there are more churches per square mile than anywhere else in the country, has three crystal shops now, magic crystal shops, where you can go in and you can get the healing crystals. And 2,500 years ago, there were magic crystal shops. It's just, it's fascinating to watch that. Uh, Arlene, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Oh, happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm calling with a concern uh, from one of your, just a few minutes ago, you talked about um, Kevin McCarthy yes. not getting the vote to be speaker. Personally, I would like to see Steve Police, but there was one thing that kind of bothered me. You said we would be okay if for two years we did not have a speaker with the right. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Now, I was being somewhat flippant that it, it would be somewhat funny to just watch them for two years just have vote after vote for speaker and never get anything uh, done. <laughs> because, yeah, you that, know, the speaker is the third most—it's a very powerful position. Yes. And also, the speaker would be third in line for the president. So I said, no, I'm going to call him and call him the president. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was being somewhat flippant. They wouldn't be able to get anything done. Our liberties would be safe. But, yes, um, it would cause nightmare uh, scenarios. To, to run amok. Um, look, I, I got to let you go because your, your your cell phone's breaking up a little bit on me. Uh, hard hard to hear, but yeah, I was being a little flippant, folks. At the same time, it would be funny, wouldn't it? For two years, the only vote in the House of Representatives would be vote for Speaker. They each take over an hour to get done. The second vote for Speaker of the House is underway at this moment. Jim Jordan has nominated Kevin McCarthy. Uh, more Republicans are saying they actually think they'd rather Jim Jordan than uh, Kevin McCarthy. I would, too. I'd rather anybody than Kevin McCarthy. Jordan, Scalise, any of them would be better than McCarthy. Uh, this vote will take place for the next hour. Uh, intriguingly, it'll be done after the end of the show. And guess what happens? We'll know probably by the time we get out of the seas whether or not McCarthy can get votes. And if he can't by the time they get out of the seas for votes, well, then there will be a third vote. That's when the magic begins to happen. Most of the Republicans I have talked to believe it is the third vote wherein there will be maneuvering, that we will have to get through the third vote in order to see anything happen. They think it's possible 
that we could get a Jordan or a Scalise or someone other than McCarthy. McCarthy says he's not going anywhere, that he's going to stand and fight, that he will be the nominee and he will keep being the nominee. But if more and more votes go to someone like Jordan on the second vote, it becomes harder and harder to make it look like McCarthy's going to get it. And privately, a growing number of Republicans behind the scenes are sitting here texting me, even one supporting McCarthy, that they think the damage is done and he may not be able to actually become Speaker of the House. That would be intriguing. More of your phone calls when we come back, 877-973-7425. It is the Eric Erickson Show nationwide. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. <laughs> one member... The House Republicans told a reporter, went nameless, but says, I love a good, well, for for radio, I'll say poop show, and this is the best poop show in town. (laughs) Uh, Kevin McCarthy has lost four votes in the House of Representatives uh, so far on the second round. It continues to happen. Cloud. Jordan. Oh, now he's, he's he's lost the votes. Happening again. Does not have the votes. Clyburn. This Jeffries. Is, this is historic, folks. We're the second Clyde. ballot for the House Jordan. of Representatives. Uh, Kevin McCarthy no longer does not have the votes again to be Speaker of the House of Representatives. They're, they're, people are switching to Jim Jordan, uh, which is interesting. Uh, Jim Jordan more principled than Kevin McCarthy. If you want to be a part of the program, 877-973-7425. Kevin McCarthy is never going to get the votes to be Speaker of the House. He might as well give it up. Uh, Let's go to the phones. Peyton, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Great show, buddy. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to see what you think. Is what we're seeing with Kevin McCarthy, is that evidence? that shows conservatives, Republicans really do think for themselves and more on principle as opposed to following the herd, which seems to be more typical of the liberals and Democrat Party. What is your thought? Yeah, listen, uh, I think this is exactly it, Peyton. We've got a, a number of Republicans who refuse to vote for Kevin McCarthy in large part because they don't trust him to be anything other than an opportunist. He's always been an opportunist. And you got to remember, Kevin McCarthy was John Boehner's right hand for years. He was John Boehner's whip. And back then, Kevin McCarthy should have been Speaker of the House, but they gave it to Paul Ryan instead, who philosophically was more principled than Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy has coveted the speakership like Gollum in the ring. And he's not going to get it. He doesn't have the votes. For the good of the party, he needs to step aside. This is the second vote. And he's already lost it. And we're, we're not even through the C's yet. They got to go alphabetically. They got to ask each new member of Congress who the Secretary of State of each state has said is the elected representative. They have to ask those people before they're even sworn in. Who do you want to be your Speaker of the House? We're now at six for Jim Jordan. The second ballot, Kevin McCarthy is toast again. For the good of the country, for the good of the House, for the good of the Republican Party, Kevin McCarthy needs to step aside. He does not have the votes. This is going to be silly if he doesn't step aside. We're going to be on to a third ballot 
That's when things can shake up. He clearly doesn't have the votes, but his ego won't allow him to step aside. There's a stunning juxtaposition. I didn't actually even plan on heading in this direction. There's a stunning juxtaposition, though. In Rome, Vatican City, the body of Benedict XVI is lying in state, lying in state in St. Peter's. Crowd has been passing. Pope Benedict XVI, Joseph Ratzinger. You know, I, I actually, I had a seminary professor who we had to read some of Ratzinger at uh, the time before he became the Pope. Um, well, he had become Pope by then, but he had written it under his name, Ratzinger. He, he and John Calvin obviously did not agree on much. But on the hypostatic union, they actually agreed on a, on a great deal. So the hypostatic union is the union between Jesus the man and Jesus God. And it you have to understand that Jesus was fully human and fully God, and the early church believed essentially for, for a term they didn't use at the time, but there was a firewall. He had two wills. He had a human will. He had a divine will. And one body, he was fully human, fully God. He had a divine will. He had a human will. He was completely sinless. And if you understand he was fully a human and also fully God, you understand his humanity comes out and shows itself in Gethsemane where, where he's sweating uh, what looks like drops of blood almost. He's so uh, apprehensive about what's to happen. You have to understand that he was fully human. He knew what was going to happen. And the human side of Jesus um, was apprehensive, uh, asking Father, if, if you would take this cup from me. And Calvin and Benedict the Sixteenth had a lot in common in their views on the hypostatic union. This is a man who gave up being the successor to the apostle Peter. This is the man who gave up leadership of the global Catholic communion. He gave it up. He didn't think he could handle it. And for the good of the church, he decided it was best he step aside. First Pope in 600 years who stepped aside, who essentially went into hiding. He went into a monastery and said he wouldn't come out to the public again. And he kept his word. Allowed a new Pope, a Pope with whom he had some theological disagreements and disagreements in the operation of the church. He allowed him to come forward and serve fully as Pope. Didn't try to interfere, didn't stand in the way. And now he's dead. Contrast that with the leadership we see so often in the world, the leadership we see playing out in Washington, D.C. today with the Speaker of the House vote, where individuals believe that they are indispensable. They believe that they are necessary. The most indispensable people tend to be the ones who view themselves as being dispensable. The indispensable men and women are the ones who put themselves last and others first, who make it not about themselves, but about other people. Benedict XVI did that. He was willing to give up all the power, prestige, 
privilege of being the Bishop of Rome, the Holy Father, the Pope, because he thought he couldn't do it anymore. Just contrast that for a moment with what's happening right now with Kevin McCarthy in Washington, D.C. We're headed to the third ballot for Speaker of the House, and he won't step aside. He doesn't have the votes, and he won't step aside. He's hell-bent on getting the votes. He believes it's him. He believes he's owed it, not earned it, but owed it because he's done all the things to get there. He's climbed all the rungs of the ladder, and now there's one more ring, ring to climb. He wants to climb it. And he's being denied it. And he won't step aside. We see this struggle in politics so often. Look at Angela Merkel. Angela Merkel, the chancellor of Germany. Longest serving German chancellor since what, Bismarck, I guess? She served for, what, 16 years, I think it was? She refused to give up. Refused to walk away. Refused to hand power over to others. And in the process made Russia way more powerful and influential. When Donald Trump was president, he warned the Germans that they would become dependent on Russia for their energy needs if they continued to go down the path. The German minister of the United Nations, when Donald Trump said that, literally laughed out loud and shook his head no. And Trump was proven right. Angela Merkel's house of cards has started to collapse in Europe. She structured Europe in a way she wanted. She could not let go. And her legacy will be one of war in Europe for the first time since World War II. She will have played a large part in that. She will have played a large part in the inflation crisis and the energy crisis in Europe because she couldn't step away. She couldn't allow people with fresh eyes to come in. Now, that doesn't mean you should step aside when you've been somewhere for a number of years. Sometimes you're able to rejuvenate yourselves. You're, you're, you're able to get fresh input. You're able to surround yourself with other people to give you fresh ideas and fresh input. You're, you're able to do that. Not everyone needs to step aside, but it's the people who can't bring themselves to step aside. That's the problem. It's the people who really do believe that, uh, but for them, Everything else would be bad, but for them, things would go the wrong way, but for them, but for them. They're not servant leaders. They expect others to serve them. That's kind of the problem. We're seeing that there in Washington, D.C., where we will head to a third vote for Speaker of the House, and the stunning contrast is on a, what is it, funeral pyre or, or what have you, in Rome at the Vatican, where there's a 90-some-odd-year-old dead man who gave up his job at the height of his career, who did not have to, who could not be made to give up his job, who could not be forced to surrender his job who had no one who could summon the power of the votes to oust him. He was perfectly safe where he was. He could have coasted. But because of his care and love for the Catholic Church, he stepped aside and went into a monastery and allowed a replacement to change him and not just, not just replace him, but change some of his very policies, change some of his rules, change some of what he would have done. And he didn't come back and attack. He didn't come back and try to seize power again. He didn't come back and try to be a co-pope. 
He stayed retired, committed to prayer. That's the sort of leadership we should all want for everything. That's the sort of leader we should look for, the one who's willing to give it up, who doesn't need it, who gets it, and who puts the care of the cause ahead of himself, and that's not Kevin McCarthy. He's never put the care of the cause ahead of himself. He's always put his own ambitions first. There is that stunning contrast now. In the House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy insists it must be him and he will not go away. In Rome, a Pope Emeritus is laying in state having died, having given up all the power, privilege, and prestige, thinking the cause and the church were greater than himself. We can learn a lot from both lessons and both examples right now. I want you to be involved in the cause, but I want you to understand that the cause should be greater than yourself. And and one of the great groups that helps you focus on the cause and how to be a better activist at it is Americans for Prosperity. You can join Americans for Prosperity. Join me and join AFP. And all you have to do is go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Learn to be an activist for Americans for Prosperity. They teach you how to engage to become a better activist. They teach you how to door knock, teach you how to run for office. They teach you how to approach your state legislator or your congressman or even your school board and make a persuasive case for small government. If you believe in limited government and free peoples and free markets, AFP is the is the organization you should join. I'm going to be out there actually uh, in the first weekend in February. They're having their big conference in California. They asked me to come speak. I'm going to go speak. I'm going to be on their panels. I love the organization. They've been involved with conservatives for a very long time, helping conservatives take back the country. And you should join with them, americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. If you believe in free markets and free people, you want to be the best conservative activist you can be, go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. My goodness gracious, uh, just watching this turmoil in Washington. Look, I want to keep you up to date. uh, And one of the ways to do that is for you to subscribe to the daily email and keep in touch with me and follow me on social media. If you text Eric, E-R-I-C-K to 33777, I'm going to send you back a link. The top one will be to my uh, daily email, and then you'll see the podcast, the live stream, the 24-7 stream, uh, which are different. One works noon to three live, and then it recycles over to the 24-7 for the next 24 hours. Uh, You get all the social media links from Instagram and the like, but you really need to subscribe to that. As this fight plays out over Kevin McCarthy, and the Speaker of the House, eh, we're going to the third ballot now. He doesn't have the votes, which is going to be fascinating. Now, one of the, the big issues eh, that we haven't really dealt with today that we need to, just because we are technically in 2023 now does not mean that the issues of 2022 have gone away. China, Russia, Iran remain problems. The economy remains a problem. The Dow Jones is down 133 points right now, even though the uh, futures market this morning was going gangbusters. People assumed it meant the market was going to get off to a good start today. Not so. In fact, uh, the Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ, they're all down. And even the Europeans are starting to say we are headed into a global recession, which we knew. Now they're saying it's going to be a small one, not a big one. It's not going to be bad. But when they say that, I start to, I start to get a little skeptical. 
These are the people who said inflation was going to be transitory. Uh, all of this, of course, happening in the run-up to, unfortunately, yes, you do have to kind of talk about it, the gamesmanship for 2024. We still don't know if Joe Biden is going to run for president in 2024. He went to St. Croix. He was attacked by people during the, the, the ice storm and the winter storms. He listened. Uh, same with Ted Cruz going to Cancun during the ice storm in Texas. I don't fault the man for getting out of Dodge. He's an 80-year-old man. Give him a break. A better he's in outside the country resting than here uh, mucking up the country. I said muck with an M, people. I would rather Joe Biden be on the beach not actually exercising the powers of the presidency without giving them to Kamala uh, than to be here. I didn't have a problem with him going. It's not like he was in charge of Southwest Airlines. Speaking of, my gosh, what a nightmare for that airline. But nonetheless, I digress. A lot of the problems that existed four days ago, three days ago, still exist. And some of them continue to fester. The situation in Ukraine is not getting any better for the Russians. In fact, it's getting better for the Ukrainians, which is part of the problem. They have been pushing the Russians out of territory. The Russians thought they had locked in and held. It turns out a lot of the people that convinced the Russians they were with them really never were with them. They were with the Ukrainians, and they're not going anywhere. The question, however, is what is the level of support we're willing to give in this country to continue to support Ukraine? and Europe as well. The Germans have started walking back their pledges for military hardware for Ukraine. They had promised to give the Ukrainians more tanks. They're now not going to. Now, we do know that uh, the Ukrainians have misspent some of the money we gave them. They can't account for all of it. It's driving the Biden administration to panic because they know the Republicans will use it to make this case stop giving money. But by and large, I mean, we're not talking a massive pool of the money we've sent them. We've sent them billions and billions of dollars. We're talking about some millions that can't be accounted for. And overall, much of the money we're sending the Ukrainians is coming back to us to buy our arms. We've become the arsenal of democracy. But the Russians are going to be using Iranian drones and Chinese instruments of war. The Chinese are now using, letting the Russians use some of their armaments to be able to test them against American armaments. We're also arming the Taiwanese as the Chinese increasingly prepare for war there. 2023 is not going to be a walk in the park. It continues to be a dangerous world. And so much of American foreign policy now is premised not on us remaining the world's superpower, but on having a multilateral world where there is a collection of nations who are all pretty powerful. And history shows that is the time that the world is most prone to descend to war. That is the time the world itself is most prone to be destabilized. So many of our leadership, so many of our leaders on the right, the left, the Republicans, the Democrats, really have given up on the idea of us being the world superpower. And if we're not, someone's going to want to be, and I would rather it be us than them.